Welcome to Women Express. I'm Denise Harrington, your host. I'm so thrilled. I'm always thrilled. You all know that. I always say in the very beginning, I'm thrilled. I'm excited because I always am. (laughs) I'm just that kind of girl. One thing that I am extremely excited about is the person I'm interviewing today, and that's Pamela Nefakara. I'll have to tell you a personal story about her. When I first saw Pamela walk into the training room that I was in, and actually I was training her team and being an executive, seeing this beautiful black woman walking in as an executive at the company that I was doing this training for was, it floored me. It excited me, it floored me, and I believe we immediately created a bond because here I am, this executive within my own right in my own company, and here she is, an executive in this big company, this sportswear company, and it was just kind of a dream come true. And we would see each other around the halls of this company now and then we'd see each other, but I'd always hear things about her integrity, her wisdom, her kind of dry wit. I bet you didn't know people said that. I think she does. And (laughs) just her ability to make things happen and the power of seeing that in that company, seeing it in a black woman. I just felt like, hallelujah, I've gone to heaven and here's my partner. (laughs) Here's another black woman I can lean on and share with in this sea of many, 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 many white faces. And over time, we shared ideas and knowledge. And once she retired from this company, she, you know, we got to see each other even more on a personal level and discovered we had more things in common that we had not only business life in common, but we have some spiritual things that were in common. And it's just nice to bump into someone who has this pure spiritual perspective that also has a, a corporate perspective. So I just, I just admire you. I acknowledge your beauty and your wisdom. And it is a joy to have you join me today. So welcome. Thank you so much, Lisa. I can say unequivocally, I have never been introduced so well. That was really, really beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's all very true. I'll read your bio, but I think my introduction was better, but I'll do the bio just because it's something to do. So Pamela Nefakara spends her life now in retirement as a trustee and a strategic advisor, a vice president of brand marketing and e-commerce and retail expert. What she's doing as a retail expert and all the other things that I said she does, is she's now writing these really great articles for LinkedIn on the new retail space and what it looks like, what it's going to look like. These are are certainly not visionary things, but they have visionary at the base of them. And your eye is catching quite a few things that I think people aren't even thinking about in terms of retail. And that would be true of you anyway. But I like to read the articles because it says a lot about who you are and and what your vision is. Pamela is a former Nike vice president. So we keep saying that company. So that makes sense, doesn't it? She is definitely a brand leader and has expertise in creating consumer connections through mastery of the digital ecosystem from online to physical retail. That's sexy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's sexy. That's some sexy stuff right there, girl. I'm telling you, you know, she was at Nike for 18 years and, and led their retail brand marketing in the U.S. But you come from the from the New York area. Is that correct? I grew up in Washington, D.C., actually. <gasps> I lived in New York, uh, was living in New York before Nike, before I came to work for Nike. I was recruited from New York. Wow. So we had that in common. Did I know that? I mean, I forget things. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a, I have a few gray hairs, and so I forget things. I forgot that you you grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. So we had a lot in common. And yeah. believe me, to be in Portland, Oregon, number one, to be a powerful yeah. black woman, number two, and to <laughs> meet in the halls of Nike, number three, and also come from Washington, D.C., oh, my goodness, did the universe put us together. <laughs> I think Pretty that's incredible. called a spiritual contract, yes. <laughs> that's a spiritual contract. I love it. I just want to say one more thing before we jump into the interview itself. And that is your devoted single mom. And I've watched you raise your son who just graduated from high school with all kinds of honors and merits and mother love. (laughs) My little valedictorian. (laughs) Yes. And he's on his way to... He's on his way to Brown University in the fall. Which I thought. Yes. Yes. And that's going to be... Very excited. I bet you are, because it's going to bring you back to the East Coast. Yes, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll have to see what the plan is in the midst of the pandemic, of course. But Of I'm course. Very excited yes. for him to be starting his college life. I'm excited, too. I mean, our sons have played together, and Emmett's a couple of years older than Abani, but, you know, just to see them graduate and go on to their next thing and to graduate in the midst of all of what's going on. Yeah. These two boys have a life and a future in front of them. But yeah. what is it like to raise an African-American boy? <laughs> That's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really is. It's different. I mean, I could not ask and because I think it will lead itself into where I really want to go with you in terms of, how you're talking about how African-Americans need to speak up. But yeah, so what is that like? How does it feel? I know when my son goes out to party at night, you know, on the weekends, I have to tell him, you know what? I don't care who you go out with because usually his friends are, it's a mixed crowd of white kids and black kids. And I tell him, look, don't even try it because the bottom line is if they start doing, these white kids start doing stuff that they can get away with, you won't. Exactly. So don't even go there. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you have to be very upfront with them. You know, this is not the time to spare their feelings or, you know, worry about them being unhappy with what you're going to say. You've got to really be very clear with them that the rules are different for them and that they can't get away with things that maybe their friends can. And they have to always be very aware of their surroundings I always had a rule when he was younger. He had to be home by sundown. I didn't even want him out, you know, in the evening. (laughs) Or they had to be at someone's house in someone's home, you know, not just hanging around, you know, at the mall or wherever. Because it is a matter of life or death for our boys, very much so. It really is. And the recent death of George Floyd on top of all kinds of other things, other deaths, other just egregious 
violations of human rights and civil rights and black men and black people's lives. Yeah. It's just amazing to me. Not only is there this heightened awareness from the white community of, Oh my God, is this really happening? And then from, from the black community, it's like, hello, <laughs> where, where have you been all of our yeah. lives? Yeah. You know, and how to talk about that because I had a girlfriend who, by the way, on Facebook today, she didn't shock me, but it pleased me because last week or so ago, when this all was happening and, you know, all of our nerves are raw. I mean, most black people I knew were exhausted. That is the that word. Exhausted is the word. Just, it's like all of that stuff came to the forefront and it just exhausted. My daughter said, I can't stop sleeping and I feel so depressed and, you know, I, and I'm tired of talking and I don't want to train anybody anymore. And I don't want to tell anybody how to say anything anymore. And this one friend of mine who wrote this Facebook post, it was a long one. She's a writer. She's Jewish. When I last talked to her, wanted me to share with her you know, how to handle this woman who was African-American but really demeaning Joyce Floyd. And I just couldn't do it. Wow. I mean, I did. I wrote it out and said, you know, it'd be a little bit like you interviewing Hitler. I mean, someone who was a traitor from the Jewish community that sided with Hitler and actually went to work for him. That's, that's how it would feel. Yeah. That's how it feels to me. That's how it would be for you. You can easily answer this question on your own. And it's just interesting. Yeah, it says a lot about being taught to hate yourself. You know, like how another African-American person could look at the situation with George Floyd and not feel empathy means that, you know, someone else has mastery over their thoughts. And that's the Mm -hmm. ultimate sign of oppression, right? It was that Carter G. Woodson said, if you tell a man that he's not worthy to go through the front door often enough, you know, when he approaches a building, he's going to automatically look for a back door. Mm-hmm. He's an automatically. And I actually explained it last night by saying, you know, oftentimes people make these kind of decisions to betray their, their race because they think they're going to gain favor. And that's true even in slavery with the servants that were in the house who would turn in their own sister in order to gain favor with the master. And just how heart-wrenching that is to know that your own person, your own family, your own people would do that to themselves just for favor. Because the favor that you're getting is just crumbs. They're not (laughs) the full smorgasbord. (laughs) For sure. For sure. You'll never be the smorgasbord. So it really, when your article came out that day, I just, on two levels, I was just relieved. One, you know, it's titled How to Speak Up. And of course, for me, my whole business is about speaking and helping women to speak and people in corporate America to speak. But then you go on to say it really addresses the African-American community in, corporate, in the corporate world yes. and why it's, why it's important to speak up, but also how, yes. how to speak up. You know, you say beware of company missions, 
goals and values. So, so tell me, how do you feel African-Americans should be in speaking out and speaking up? I know one of the things I was thankful for is that you said, you know, if we don't feel like speaking up, we shouldn't have to. <laughs> like, yeah, and I started with that point. You know, I think especially if you find yourself as the only or one of the very few uh, African-Americans in your company, I'm sure you're getting bombarded with questions and people are looking to you. And, you know, not all of us are comfortable being put in that position. Maybe we haven't processed everything that's happening for our own selves. Exactly. And so no one should feel like they have to speak up. And so in the article, I suggest that you just say, hey, I'm still processing everything and I'm not ready to share. And I'll let you know, you know, when I am and leave it at that. Yeah. So never feel like you're forced to be put in this position of, you know, being a spokesperson for your race, which is unfortunately often what happens when you're one of the few or, or the only. Yeah. And of course, oftentimes in corporate America, we're the only or one of the few. I mean, that's yeah. that's the role we play. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many classes I've trained, presentation skills classes, and it would either be all men. Isn't that funny? I mean, at 28 years in business in the very beginning of, of doing this, it was usually all men. And then the next tier down was all men and a couple of women. <laughs> and as we got closer and closer to the 2000s, it became all men, a few women, and one black person. <laughs> and usually that black person was me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So sitting at the table is, you know, there's a lot at risk. And I appreciate it. You give me the words to explain that. But tell me, why is it when we're, we're sitting in, let's say, a corporate boardroom, and we see things, why would someone decide not as black person? Let's be clear. We're talking about black people. Why would we not speak up? Why would that be the case? If I were to look at my own personal experience, oftentimes I was weighing how much personal power I had in any given situation and how much goodwill I was willing to expend because I felt that each time I spoke up, you know, somewhere someone was thinking, okay, here goes a black person again, pointing out, you know, this, the issue with whatever, racism, sexism, you name it. And so I had to choose my battles. And so sometimes a black person may not feel that they're coming from a position of power and are able to speak up without seriously risking their livelihood. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's, Funny, I have mentored many people. I've, you know, spoken on a lot of panels. I'm actually involved in a group right now called Monday Night Mentors, oh. which is uh, on uh, Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn. And, you know, my most often, the piece of career advice that I give people is to get your financial house in order. Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, you can't risk your livelihood by speaking up, but you really feel like you need to speak up, well, the way you put yourself in a better position is to make sure your financial house is in order. So that if you do speak up and you don't like the response you get, you give yourself <laughs> options to remove mm -hmm. yourself. That's really, really great advice because 
I've been noticing in the last few weeks as all of this is going on, how the financial inequities mm-hmm. that are there, you know, that how many of us are secure enough to be able to make that decision, but how many of us are really in position to speak up? Yes, yes. And so let's say, you know, you do feel very compelled to speak up no matter what your position, then you still have to be very smart about how you approach it because you want your voice to have an impact. You want what you're offering to have some longevity. You know, we've seen these incidences time and time again. We see corporations and companies making statements and that's nice, but what we really need is some lasting change. And yeah, Whenever you're trying to drive change in a company, you know, that change is more long lasting when it's consistent with the company's mission, vision and values. And so in my article, I suggest that you start there. And as a simple example, let's say you want to see companies support an after school program in an underserved neighborhood. Well, you wouldn't go to Google and say, hey, can you build a basketball court for this after school program? You know, you'd go to a company like Nike or Adidas because sports is part of their mission. And if you were asking Google to support it, you'd ask Google to donate maybe computers or, you know, tutoring because technology, you know, is part of their mission and their expertise. So as you're thinking about what you're asking for, because hopefully you are asking for, you know, something when you speak up, make sure that that something helps to further and solidify the company's mission, vision, and goals. Now, at that point, you may actually find that you need to have a conversation about those, (laughs) that mission, (laughs) mission and, and those values. You know, maybe you're at a company where there isn't even a reflection, equity, let's say, in their values. Well, that's a great conversation to have. That's a great reason to speak up, because if you can begin to embed some focus on equity and inclusion in the company's values, then that becomes a check, right? That becomes the measurement for everything that the company does going forward. Mm -hmm. It really does. Well, in these days and times, because of what happened to George Floyd and everyone now wants to jump on the bandwagon to have their company make a statement. I have have had people call me and say, what do you think of this statement? Or send me an email. What do you think about this statement? You know, and the, the bottom line is, It's disingenuous if the company is making a statement or the person's making a statement and it doesn't come from their point of view and heart. Right. I think that's what these times are all about. It can't just be Black Lives Matter. It's never been that for me anyway, but Black Lives Matter. You know, I got the sign, I got the button and, you know, I have the T-shirt. But inside, you're not coming from your feelings. And the interesting thing about not coming from your feelings when you're making a statement is not only is it empty, but you can't tag yourself onto that statement. Who are you within that statement? Why does Black Lives Matter to you? Right. And And the way to really get at that in a corporation is to start to say, well, then let's look at some numbers. If you're saying Black lives matter, then that means Black careers matter, Black advancement matters. So start asking the question, hey, have we looked at the percentage of African Americans in our company, not just 
on the whole, but by level, right? It's easy to look at the most junior levels of most companies and see greater diversity. But as you start to approach the C-suite, then that's when the numbers really start looking bad. You know, how many directors do you have? Yeah. How many vice presidents do you have who are African-American? Who is on your board of directors? And use this opportunity if you're going to speak up to talk about, hey, how do we continue to attract talent, but also retain and promote talent? And how are we measuring that consistently, right? And over Mm -hmm. time to ensure that African-Americans are making gains in your corporation or your company? That's what I'd love to see people asking. Those are good questions to ask, believe me. Every time you say it, I just go, okay, let me write that down because I need to tell somebody that. (laughs) Because it's true, you know, as a business owner, I have seen from time to time where I have a program and I go in and I'll do my program and then my competitor comes in who's white. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's starting to eat away at my share, even though people know I do a great job and I bring, there's not this understanding that, wait a minute, we have someone who's more reflective of what diversity is for our company that's doing the exact same job. Which one do, should we value more? You know, it's, there's enough for everybody, but I bring an extra added value to the table because of diversity. So I love it every time you say, let's just, so why, you know, give me the numbers and the facts of why, and then let's start making some changes. What else would you suggest to African-American people sitting in corporate America or even people of color for getting their voice out there? Because sometimes we just kind of don't have the voice. Yeah. Or we, we don't have the opportunity for voice. Well, and sometimes I know for myself, I've been in situations where, you know, maybe I'm the most junior person in a meeting, or I can recall uh, one meeting in particular where we were, it was basically a performance review discussion. You know, a bunch of us were in a room, we're talking about the people who report to us. And in this instance, I happened to be kind of a guest In this meeting, I wasn't actually on this leadership team, but I was invited to participate in the discussion. And we were throwing out names of people we felt were high potential. Mm -hmm. And I noticed very quickly that the list was basically all men and all American men, despite the fact that this was a global meeting. Well, knowing that, you know, I was there as a guest, I decided I didn't want to take the risk of speaking up. And instead, I waited until there was a break. I pulled a woman aside who I felt, you know, pretty close with, mentioned to her what I had observed. And she actually, you know, acknowledged she noticed it as well. And I encouraged her to speak up when we reconvened after the break. And she did. (laughs) So (laughs) in that instance, you know, that was me asking a question, but without asking the question, (laughs) getting an ally. And there's a lot of conversations out there now about, you know, what does it mean to be an ally? Well, for anyone who's 
in a position of power, because it doesn't even necessarily mean that you're a non-Black person, right? Anyone who's in a position of power can be an ally to an African-American who is not in a position of power in a particular meeting and be the one to speak up. Well, that's, I really love that. I mean, that was the next thing. How do you ask questions without being the one that being fingered for asking the question, because you do one of the things that I talk about in coaching when I'm coaching women and men on moving up in leadership roles is one of the very first questions I ask them is, who are your allies and who are your challenges? Yeah. It's how do you make your challenges become your allies? And then how do you get your allies to help further your mission? within the organization. And that way you can make it personal, which is one of the next things that you talk about in how to speak out. And again, just reminding our listeners that we're having this conversation. It, it, these points relate to anybody, but we're making it specific for African-Americans because we know that there is a deficit in voice in the corporate space. And there's a void <laughs> for participation of African-Americans in the corporate space. So the question is, is how do we further our own cause? And I think allies have a lot to do with furthering our own cause. Absolutely. And I'm very encouraged, actually, that I've had so many of my white friends and Asian friends, you know, reach out to me and ask what they, you know, can do. And I think the first thing that's really important is when you're talking to a colleague on an individual level, encourage them to educate themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I've loved seeing this time around is that there's so many lists going around on the internet of books to read and movies to watch and people are sharing articles. So don't feel that you as an African-American have to be responsible for educating everyone else. In fact, mm-hmm. one of my you know, favorite responses is to say, well, what happened when you Googled that? You know, a young woman told me that her white male supervisor asked her to explain to him how the period of enslavement began. <laughs> that is not her job. <laughs> that is well, not her job. Yeah. And sounds to me that that wasn't a part of history <laughs> that he learned. Well, hey, I'm not going to, I don't know. You know, I, I do know that often our history is not taught or it's, you know, mm-hmm. mistaught, you know, or hardly ever taught. There was a lot I was mistaught myself. And so what did I do? I went out and I sought out the information myself. I studied my history. So just like any business executive is who is faced with a challenge that they may not be familiar with, you know, goes out, does the work to get up to speed on it. Same thing here. So each individual needs to be responsible for educating themselves. And then, hey, invite the person to, okay, great, come back and let's have a conversation maybe after you've read a couple books or watched, you know, a couple films. But it's not just the responsibility of Black folks to educate white folks about this. Just mm-hmm. like the Time's Up movement, you know, helped us to understand, I helped, helped many people to understand that it wasn't up to women to solve the issues of sexual harassment. You know, in that same way, it's not up to Black people to solve the issues of racism. 
It's true. I've been saying that to all my white friends. It's not my time. It's your time. It's your turn to get this done because, you know, we don't live at an advantage of being white. We don't. So how can we solve that? can't really solve it. You have to solve it. And it doesn't matter whether you had ancestors that had slaves or not. It's by nature of the beast, you are, sorry, implicit in the experience because waking up white means you don't have to look at certain things. You don't have to be involved in certain things. You can have a, you can live in a bubble. Yes. But I am also really encouraged by what I'm hearing and seeing with friends and colleagues. I've had corporate people that I've worked with that have sent me emails or called. And it's really been quite phenomenal in that way. And even the, the woman that I just, I just can't talk about this woman and, you know, I feel betrayed and it's, you know, what, what would you feel like if it was, she wrote a beautiful piece in on Facebook today, just acknowledging her implicit experience in being white and privileged and how, she was doing the work and that she was making the commitment for doing the work. And it was quite moving to see, to go from a place where, Oh my God, I can't help you get this to, this is what I got. This is what I experienced. And this is where I'm going to make a commitment to dedicate myself to learning more, understanding more and making a difference when it comes to the lives of the black people that I interact with and their friends and families. Yeah. Very powerful. What's great about what you said is, you know, I it sounds like she's starting to get an inkling of how it feels to have a foot in two worlds, right? And when you're black in corporate America, you have a foot in two worlds. You are uh, both a brand steward, right? In the roles that I've had, right, I have a responsibility to a brand. But I also am part of a community, and in this instance, a community that's being severely impacted. And so I want what's best you know, for the brand as a brand steward, but I also want what's best for my community. And mm-hmm. you know, as a Black person in corporate America, you're always wearing both of those hats. And I think it can be very powerful, right? Because, because you are so close to the issues, and you understand the brand, you know, you can help potentially help your company bring those two together because in the end, we want what's best for everyone. And corporations are simply a reflection of the communities in which they operate. And so we want those corporations to reflect the highest ideals of community. And understanding the issues, being closer to the issues means that as an African-American, hopefully when you speak up, you have an opportunity to really push for some meaningful solutions. And that's the thing that you're trying to encourage is that you have the tools. And here's some a couple of tips where you can really make an influence by speaking up, but you have to be strategic. You have to be conscious. Yeah. There has to be intention. Yeah. I feel that everything you wrote here was about intention. Yes. Making dis- conscious choices about, I'm going to speak up this time. I'm not going to speak up, not because it comes out of fear or I'm being stifled or any, it's a conscious choice on how I'm going to speak up and how I'm going to participate. I didn't talk about this particular instance in an article, but I will never, ever forget. One time I was on a leadership team in the U.S., which is, you know, biggest market. And I was asked to be a sub for my boss 
the vice president in a staff meeting of her peers. So I'm in this meeting. <laughs> I'm again, I'm not really supposed to be there. I'm a guest, you know, I'm subbing for her. And it happened to be right after Katrina. And so someone was presenting, you know, ideas about how we were going to respond. And the, it was a great, you know, plan. We're going to go in, we're going to help rebuild playgrounds, you know, so kids can play. You know, everyone's nodding. Oh, did I also mention I was just the only woman <laughs> in the room? Mm. <laughs> yes, the only woman. Oh, why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah, the only woman and subbing for someone else. And the person. And probably the only black woman, too. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, that goes Although, you know, interestingly, there was another black man in this meeting. Mm -hmm. And now you'll understand why that's significant. So the person's talking about, you know, rebuilding playgrounds, going into New Orleans, you know, sounds great. And then they say, and we're going to call it Pimp My Playground. <laughs> and inside, I just was crushed. I was crushed and everyone was just nodding and smiling because, of course, at that time, there was a pretty popular TV show on MTV called Pimp My Ride, right? So mm -hmm. this is the word that's in the popular lexicon. So no one sees anything wrong with, you know, a program for children <laughs> called Pimp My Playground. And mm -hmm. so that was one of the times when I said, you know what? I, it doesn't matter that I'm a sub. It doesn't matter that I'm the only woman in this room. I feel like this is too important to go out into our communities as if using the word pimp is positive. Mm -hmm. And so I just very carefully started with a positive. Hey, this is a great program. <laughs> I love the fact that we would go in and rebuild playgrounds. So start with a positive. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, then add a question, <laughs> I'm just wondering if we thought about the fact that the word pimp is actually not a positive word, and then end with another positive. But I am certain that we have such great creative people on our team that we can come up with a much better word. And absolute silence. <laughs> <laughs> getting ready to say absolute silence <laughs> absolute yes you know if I hadn't been in the room you know like I wondered like what would have happened if I hadn't been in the room as a woman and as a black woman and as a mother you know thinking yes. about school children hearing that oh this company is going to come in and pimp my playground <laughs> so so, yeah, sometimes you just have to speak up. <laughs> sometimes you just have to speak up. And that, that was definitely one of those times. I mean, here's what I think from a communication standpoint. I think we're in a time where that's going to be, you're going to have more ability to speak up than ever. Yes. Because everyone wants to know all of a sudden. Yes. Yes. And so don't squander, don't squander the opportunity. Don't squander the opportunity because everyone wants to know, well, what should I say and what should I do? And that's corporately as well. I mean, today I was sharing with someone, I do this thing in the morning and I don't always do it and I should never do it. But today I woke up and I picked up my phone. 
And I started to go through Facebook and I went through my emails. And, you know, then, of course, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour later, there you still are going, darn it, I was going to meditate and I was going to do (laughs) yoga. I was going to do now all that's like pushed back an hour. But one of the things I came across was a letter. And this is not a huge corporation, it's a small corporation. A letter from the European Wax Center. Oh, yeah. It's now maybe our guests can't see it, but you can see it. It's about six pages. Wow. Six printed pages. But still, this is front and back. And it goes, this starts out by saying over the fast past few weeks, we've come to find ways to generate positive change in our organization. And we are making a deep commitment to giving our African American associates or our black associates a voice and to lift them up and helping us redirect our, the way that we interact with them and with the world. Wow. And then they went on to say that, you know, and that they collectively bear witness to these black associates stories and the injustices that they've experienced and that they're making a commitment again to honor inclusion, to truly make a, tr- a change in creating their advisory board and making it work. So that's why I'm saying there's, it's out there yeah. that speaking is, and this is a small company. I mean, come on, I got my eyebrows done there. It's not that big of a deal, but yeah. the bottom line is that the commitment because they're small is no less And quite frankly, it's one of the most powerful letters I've seen come out in the last few days. And that's important because small businesses employ so many people and Mm -hmm. often don't have the level of sophistication, right, of a larger company, maybe don't have a a head of diversity and inclusion, you know, Mm -hmm. and so they are a little more reliant on the voices of their employees and their thoughts and suggestions. Yeah, it was really, I mean... Of all the things that I've been seeing through the weeks coming from corporate America, I have to give Procter & Gamble a big shout out because I think they did an incredible job with their ads around the conversation that Oprah was having and town hall she was having and McDonald's. I mean, you know, I got business from McDonald's because they have always been a very, very strong partner in NMSDC, which is an organization to help further the business needs and support of African-American and people of color and women, uh, small businesses. So I think this is the time to speak out. I would still be strategic. I really agree that, you know, those of us who have just been saturated in the last African-Americans who've been saturated and, you know, everyone thinks we're the experts and I guess we really are in terms of our experience. But if you feel that, this is not the time. I just loved it that you said, you don't have to, you don't have to, you can just say, thank you. And, you know, I respectfully say you do the work right now. I need to sit down because I've been doing the work for a long time, for centuries. Just because you're African-American, it does not make you a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert, you know, because of the color of your skin. That is a very specific discipline and companies should be hiring, you know, people with experience in those areas, people who have been focused on D and I have now been around, you know, for many, many years. So yeah, there are folks been a while. 
Yeah. So there are folks for whom, you know, this is their area of expertise. This is their profession. And, you know, you should be leaning on them, not just your employees. Yeah. And this, that's an area too, that I feel needs to be held accountable. That's why I like this letter from the European Center, Waxing Center, because they said they did have it, diversity inclusion, but that they were going to go back and make it more relevant. You know, I have challenged a few of my clients that, you know what, where you have a white male doing exactly what I'm doing and you're giving them the majority of the business, I want you to think about that because I can bring the same thing to the table. And my business plan is to, to go in and go back into corporate America and wave my flag. I haven't been waving my flag <laughs> in the last several. I mean, that's how I got into Nike. I said, you know, yeah. I'm bringing you a great program. Let's not be confused. But I'm also bringing you something you need because you are, are selling your products to African-Americans. And I bring a, an African-American perspective that's important for your company, for the teams that serve those communities. And that was one of the first things I said when I was asked to begin to do my work at Nike. I don't always say anything about it because it's clear I'm African-American, but I also let my work speak for me. My work always precedes me. I think that, that you know, that go, almost goes without saying, right? You've got to be not just good, but better than good. And yeah, yeah, I think you have to continue to remind people, you know, of the importance of a diverse perspective of the fact that you're not, again, just an expertise in, you know, your profession, but inherent in how you approach a problem and how you look to solve, right? Inherent in that is a value and a perspective that is broader and more diverse And there's tons of research that shows more diverse teams are higher performing teams and, you know, more diverse companies that leads to higher profitability. Again, a win-win. It's a win-win. I love your perspective because you always break it down to, you know, giving statistics and making sure that people understand it's not a complex idea that this is truly one plus one equals two. It's, it's not that complex, but the difference is, is people need to be much more aware of the value that African-Americans bring to the table and aware of the fact that there have been major injustices in terms of how we have been utilized or not utilized for our expertise and our experience. Big lapses in compensation and advancement and promotion, all of those areas need to be examined. Yeah. I have a very diverse audience. I have, you know, white women. I have black women who listen, of course, to my podcast. And what I would say to, I'm going to ask you, what would you say to the white women that are listening to this who are in corporate America? And then what would you say to the black women? Well, I think to the white women, you know, they need to begin to assume some of the risk that's been 100% on the shoulders of Black employees. You know, they should be the ones to speak up first. You know, don't always rely on or look to, you know, the Black employees to point out inequities or to point out inconsistency. 
And I think that's the number one thing. They're very simple changes you can make. Are you, you know, ensuring that you have diverse candidate pools? Are you ensuring that all roles are posted and advertised for hire as opposed to just hiring, you know, that person you know or, you know, someone from your friend group? There's so many steps that white women can take on their own without having to ask (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, another person from, you know, their position of privilege, from their position of power. But yes, that means it is a risk for them. I've actually spoken to white women who have had a seat at the table and, you know, have had to think about, again, how much they're going to speak up when they see these inequities, because it could mean that they're going to lose that seat at the table. But if we don't all start, you know, speaking up, that's what ultimately will make it less risky, right? When these companies know that everyone is paying attention and everyone is willing to speak up. So I would say to the white women, you know, that's the way to support. And I think to the black women, as you said earlier, Denise, you know, know who your allies are, you know, make sure you're going to them with very specific, you know, concerns or ways they can help, very specific examples, but get your financial house in order. Make sure you've got, you can preserve options for yourself so that if conversations don't go the way that you like, or if you're not seeing true change, you don't think that your company is sincere, you know, in making change, then, you know, maybe it's time for you to find a different company to work for as well. But you always want to have that option. And the only way to have that option is to have some financial freedom. That is so very true. And I will say, add one thing to that, network. Oh, yes. Network. Network, network. Know who's who in your companies and create those allies so that you can have conversations. Because once you've created an ally, someone who really trusts and knows you to the best of their ability. So, of course, we're going to ask white women to get to know your black girlfriends a little bit better understand from our perspective some things, because we know a lot about you. It's time for you to learn a little bit about us, a lot more about us, rather, and then create those allies and work together to make change, you know, make those bridges. I've had so many opportunities given to me. I mean, just in some of the major corporations that I've been in, I've had so many opportunities given to me. And some of it is because I just made it my business to find out who's who Mm -hmm. and to become friends and build relationships and have those kind of intimate conversations that you can't necessarily have when you're in a big boardroom situation, but you can have those conversations one-on-one, one-off. And if I'm ever asked how, you know, as black women, how do we become, you know, more visible and more seat at the table? It's about building relationships and having those conversations as you build relationships and add value, show them how you add value. Yeah. And I, I think also making sure that, you know, those with the seat at the table don't get distracted by what I would call stereotypical feedback that tends to land on black people and black women in particular. Mm. So when you give me an example of that one, I have a couple of examples. When you hear things like, well, gosh, she, she's so direct, you know, that's code word for angry black women, which is a racial stereotype. 
And unless you can, you know, point to that same feedback being discussed for a man, you know, or a non-Black, you know, person as well, then, you know, to me, that's a signal that the conversation is now veering into a territory that's not helpful or fair. Or if you're hearing feedback on uh, Black women and it's not specific, well, you know, she just kind of rubs me the wrong way. That's not feedback. You know, where are the examples? What specifically, what's different about what she did versus, you know, employee X, Y, or Z? And then the other one that we hear a lot is, oh, she's, she's like the mother of the group. You know, she, <laughs> she mothers her group, which again, harkens back to the black mammy stereotype. It's a stereotype. You know, can a black woman show empathy and concern for her group without being labeled as the mother of the group? Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are some things because oftentimes, you know, as white women, you're in those conversations, right? The performance reviews a lot of times and promotion decisions a lot of times are made by just a group of people sitting around a table talking about folks. And sometimes mm-hmm. they may, people may be talking about people that they don't even know, right? Just an impression. That's a good point or something that they heard. So be an ally in those moments, right? And ask the question, well, what do you mean by that? (laughs) What's an example? How is that different? You know, because as we know, just like between men and women, right? His behavior is labeled as assertive. Her behavior can be labeled as aggressive, right? That gets multiplied then when you're talking about an African-American or person of color. Yeah, it gets multiplied. That angry black woman thing. I've heard that a few times. <laughs> I had to say in the last few days, I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate about what you're asking me about. Why does it have to be angry? Yeah. Uh-huh. Why does it have to be angry? Yeah. You know, and I'm just colorful in that way. I'm going to be a little more passionate. I love the word because you know, you can say for men that they can be passionate, but women, you know, we, we don't get to be passionate. And for African-American women, we don't get to raise our voice when we're excited. Yeah. We have yeah. to be even keel and tiptoe around and it's just not fair. <laughs> well, and You know, this is what happens when, if you think about white male leaders, right? There are examples of all types of white male leaders. There are introvert leaders. There are servant leaders. There are extrovert leaders. They're all, there's a whole range of leadership types of white males that is viewed as acceptable. Well, why is that? It's because there are so many <laughs> white males in leadership position that we've learned that, oh, there are all kinds of different leadership styles that can work. What happens is when you have so few Blacks in leadership positions, then you start to become pigeonholed, right? There mm-hmm. becomes this archetype that if you don't fit within this, you know, very narrow definition, then, oh, you know, something's wrong. That's what we've really got to challenge within corporate America. We have to allow for, you know, the great variety of leadership, regardless of what someone looks like. hmm I love that. I I actually am writing that one down because it's really a great variety of leadership, regardless of person. It's color. Yeah. Or makeup. Yeah. I love that one. 
that one's going to go down in the the book of Denise. Great quotes from Pamela Nevakara. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) you're welcome. Well, I started out this conversation by saying how much I admire you. And I do. I really do. You have always pushed my work. And that's an important thing coming from another woman of color who totally understands how important our work is. The work that I'm doing is very important. The work that you're doing and have done is very important. It's we bring a perspective. We bring not only a perspective from a woman and a black woman, but we just bring a perspective that's different from even the places we grew up. I mean, we grew up in Washington, D.C. We were fortunate when we talk about black history. I mean, I grew up in everybody that taught me was black and they were not playing. (laughs) They were going to create really good, you know, really good students who were going to go out in the world and be productive but they also taught us about black history. We were not allowed not to know who we were. And some of that has gone away in the sense that, you know, schools don't teach African-American literature or history. They're starting to, but not many, you know, when you go to some of these private schools, my son didn't get it until his senior year and it was taught by a white man. Wow. I'm not mad that it was a white man. It got done. Yeah. But the, you know, I was very fortunate that all of my teachers were African-American and French teacher. I mean, every, I had role models that really gave me the foundation of who I am. Seriously. So critical. So critical. And so imagine if you're growing up in Montana or Nebraska or, you yeah. know, deep in Texas, you know, that's or mis- Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> That's missing yeah. in so many places across our country. And, you know, Black history is American history. It's American history. I mean, it's important. So when we're talking about our people in a corporate environment speaking up, certainly I think it's juicy. The platform of speaking out and speaking up right now for us is juicy. People want to know. I think it is important to understand how to be strategic about it. And, and that includes the strategy of saying, I'm not the pincushion today and I don't want to talk about it, you know, or saying that it's just too much for me to bear in the moment. And how about you Google that? I love that answer. <laughs> what happens when you Google it? I love that answer. Let's say that again. What happens when you Google that? <laughs> Absolutely. But it puts the responsibility squarely back where it belongs. Yeah, because I think that that's the problem is that it's if our white friends and their relatives and their communities don't ask the hard questions of themselves, then you don't learn. Right, right. And it's a learning opportunity for everyone right now. It's a learning opportunity for everyone right now. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have conversations as African-Americans because sometimes you just do. I'll say one last thing before I end. And that is, I, I was doing this interview with this really dear friend of mine, a white woman who's running in Texas. I think I said that at the beginning. And she had, she's on a board with several other women and they have, come together to create some policy changes within their their district that she's running for. And on their board were, I think she said, six women and one was African-American. And she told me that she had just gotten, and of course, Angie cries a lot. So, I mean, if things move her, I shouldn't say she cries a lot. If she gets moved, she cries. Mm-hmm. 
So she said, let me just get a tissue. She said, before I got on this call with you, I got a text message from the one African-American woman on the board. And she said, it's been a very rough week for me. It's been, you know, it's been very rough. And I just wonder why none of you have called me. Wow. And I have, you know, I have two sons and this is very real, very painful for me. And I just wish I had had your support. And she wasn't the text message. Well, I don't have to defend it because it was a great text in my mind, but it wasn't that she was like going, why did you? She was just saying, I was just surprised that nobody, nobody called me or texted me. Yeah. And this is, you're sitting on a board with these women. Right. You're sitting on the board with this woman. <laughs> exactly. Obviously the only black, you said she's the only black woman. She's in the, the only group. black woman. So did anyone notice that? Well, Angie did. That's why she brought it up in our interview. And, and so I said, I have a suggestion and I'm going to put this suggestion out for anybody who's listening, even if it's six weeks later. I mean, I think I'm going to post this right away, but even if it's six weeks before you hear this, open up a Zoom and invite the black women, you know, and have a conversation with them. Invite the white women, you know, and have a conversation. Get a cup of coffee instead of going to happy hour and, you know, da, da, da on Zoom. Use it for this constructive moment of sharing and understanding and make it safe. State that right up front that this is safe for you to open up and share and for me to open up and share because Angie wanted to share too. And I said, also say, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, reparations doesn't have to be money. Reparations can be, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I never listened. I'm sorry I forgot about you. I'm sorry I saw a position that you could have easily filled and I didn't put out my hand to bring you forward. Mm -hmm. I apologize for that. And wow. here's my plan. Wow. My plan is to make a different commitment to you and to, you know, as many African Americans that I can or women because you know, this is an important piece to our overall, not only history, but the way that we do business. The way that we build relationships is the future of business. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I might require something stronger than coffee for that conversation, but I love it. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, a little Prosecco never hurt any girl. <laughs> Little whiskey. <laughs> Little whiskey. We're not mad at ourselves. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, I love you dearly. Thank you so much. Again, not only a, a colleague, but you are a friend. I know that you are a trusted advisor and you're, you got my back all the way. And I want you to know, as you are starting to venture out into this writing career, that I have your back. Well, thank and you. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want us to connect with you in any way? You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search me, Pamela Neferkarat, N-E-F-E-R-K-A-R-A, -E -E which, by the way, means beautiful are the blessings of God. Very ancient African name. Or my website, elmyrastreet.com, which I named my company after 
the street that I grew up on in honor of my parents who owned a house for 30 years and actually paid off a 30 year mortgage. (laughs) So, well, that's a whole nother conversation about real estate and African-American people (laughs) and being able to buy a home number one. So yeah, that's a whole nother conversation about systemic racism that we can't get into today, but I think we covered some great ground. Yes. Yeah. I want to encourage my listeners to stay tuned. We are going to be launching Women Express Summits, and these summits are designed to give you an opportunity to see us virtually. Those myself and the women that some of the women in each summit will come from the interviews that we've had over the last year and a half. So that's being baked and planned. We thought it would come out sooner, but it's going to be coming out later on in this year. We also will be having, from that, you'll be able to have a membership where you can be coached throughout a six to 12 month process of growing your leadership, growing your value, growing your brand. We're excited about that. You could get me at speakingwithimpact.com as well, but for Women Express, it's www.speakingwithimpact.com womenexpresspodcast.com. What we're doing is we're building the landing page and we're building the website to now accommodate the memberships and the summits. So bear with us. You can still write me now and it'll go straight through to the podcast host, but I always get it on my company's website. So don't hesitate. If you're interested in upcoming events that we have, please send us information, your email address. And as soon as it begins to, as they call drop, I'll make sure I get it out to you. Well, this has been great. Another successful interview. Smiling faces. You are more than welcome. Always love spending time with you. Me too. I really do. So thanks so much. And thank you listeners for staying in there for so long. These last few interviews have gone longer than a half hour, but I think you'll find that what we've been sharing and what we're doing here is helping you to stand up and express. So let's just do that. Women Express. Bye for now. We had a great time today. What I'd like to ask you to do is to rate us, give us good ones, review and subscribe. And if you love the time you spent with us and loved our speakers, our interviewees, then share this with your friends. Let's collectively Women Express. Thank you for being with me. Bye for now.